Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. From WPLN, I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. In response to gun violence in our nation's schools, some lawmakers have introduced the idea of arming teachers as a solution. Supporters say having armed teachers provides another layer of safety and protection for students. Opponents say it will only increase and create more problems and confusion, let alone increase the stress for teachers and students themselves. As the legislation session ended, Tennessee lawmakers were considering a bill that would allow teachers across the state to be armed. We'll talk with educators, gun violence prevention advocates, and a juvenile judge. That's coming up later this hour. But first... It's time for At Us. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the Lays past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Khalil, and happy Thursday. Happy Thursday to you. We are one step closer to the weekend, mm-hmm. but I am not going to get ahead of myself right here. <laughs> what has been on our listeners' minds this week. During yesterday's show about the unhoused folks finding community and friendship, we had two guests, Imani and Aloe, who met through a program called Launchpad, which provides shelter spaces um, that are LGBTQ affirming. During that show, Brett tweeted at us saying, quote, Launchpad is a wonderful organization. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence try to help them as much as possible, but they need people to donate, especially long-term sustaining donations. You know the drill of sustainers. Oh, yes. We know better than anyone because we hit our fundraising goal for this week's Sprint Fun Drive. Indeed, Khalil Sock. Yulona. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And if you're wondering what Anna is talking about, head over to the WPLN Instagram and check it out. If you haven't seen the video, let's just say public radio socks make for great puppets. But I digress. Moving on to trees. So after Tuesday's episode about native trees, we received a nice thank you from Joe Brichetto, who actually gave us the idea for that show. On Instagram, she wrote, quote, always impressed with the mix of voices you choose, especially happy that listeners heard why native trees matter, why our connection to trees and nature matter, and why trees need our support. Also thrilled that someone else notices trees in Kroger parking lots. By the way, the American Sycamores at the 21st Avenue Kroger, a surprising landscape choice, are a treat year round. Mm-hmm. We also received an Instagram comment from Jessica. She wrote, quote, this is an important conversation. Trees create a better environment for all of us. These developers should not be allowed to cut down old trees. This is Nashville Speaks for the Trees. Yes, we do. (laughs) Speaking of important conversations, we've got a special episode coming up on May 31st, looking at the race to become Nashville's next mayor. That is right. And we want to hear from you. What questions do you want the candidates to answer before you get to cast your ballot in August? Head over to thisisnashville.org and scroll down to the Citizen Nashville section to find the post. Send us your comments and you might hear them on the show. Our listeners always have great questions, so I'm really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. So am I. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, Anna, what else you got? 
Well, another episode that people really enjoyed was last Thursday's on Latin music. That was a blast. Yes, it was. You know, during the show, Scott tweeted us at us saying, quote, when I was a cameraman in Miami, I shot many live shows, particularly Salsa music. My greatest challenge was holding a camera still while resisting the urge and twist and move with the music. Ooh, yeah, I feel that, Scott. It Mm -hmm. can be really hard to resist the beat sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, We also heard from our guest, Catalina, on Instagram. She wrote, quote, Gracias, this is Nashville for having us and highlighting the ever-changing, ever-growing Latin music scene in Nashville. Today's interview literally made my week and gave me a new breath of inspiration it also gave me an excuse to hang out con mis amigos uh, Raúl Oyarse y Rachel Rodriguez. Que viva la música latina y nuestra comunidad in Nashville. We also heard from Alejandro, who tweeted us at, at, at us, and he said, quote, As an undocumented immigrant who considers Tennessee their home since 2003, nothing has made me feel more like a Tex, a Tenexican. <laughs> I like that. Like hearing Rocky Top, Tennessee being played by a mariachi band during a rally downtown some weeks ago. That really must have been something to hear live during the April 10th protests at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find a recording of that performance, but here's a rendition of Rocky Top by Marachi, Mariachi Amigos out of Atlanta. This one is for you, Alejandro. is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Thanks for this roundup, Anna, and we'll see you soon. Of course, and our listeners know where to find me online. Don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram, and let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what comments and topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It is super easy and quick and helps us to produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear how one Tennessee school district attempted to arm its teachers in response to safety concerns. What do you think of teachers carrying guns in the classroom? Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kaliole Colonna, and this is Nashville. In March, the entire state was shocked by the mass shooting at the Covenant School in Nashville. Three students and three staff members at the school were killed. Calls to take legal action to reduce gun violence rang out, and notably, it was students who led the charge. At the state capitol, a bill that would allow school districts statewide to decide if teachers 
can be armed was under consideration as the legislation legislative session closed. Currently, it's not clear if it will be reintroduced during the upcoming August special session on public safety. The bill would expand which districts are eligible to arm teachers. One of the two districts that currently qualify is Wayne County. My next guest attempted to implement the law there. I'd like to introduce Marlon Davis, Director of Schools at the Wayne County Board of Education. Marlon, thank you for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate you being here. Now, in 2016, a law was passed that allowed the Board of Education in distressed rural counties to decide if teachers can be armed. Pickett and Wayne counties were the only two that qualified under the law. I want to go back real quick before that time. Marlon, tell me, what concerns were you having regarding school safety in Wayne County then? Well, I'll give you a little bit of history, go back a little bit further. Um, this is my 34th year in education. At that time, I was a principal at uh, one of our unit schools here within the district. And um, before that, in about 2001, we actually had a federal funded SRO grant, which lasted five years within our district. So it expired around 06 or something along those lines, uh, just trying to remember back the timeline. And once it expired, uh, those funds were not replaced, and so uh, we lost our SROs at that time, and uh, there was not, you know, a support locally, fiscally anyway, uh, that would continue that program. So we went without SROs and, and protection. Discussion uh, continued uh, throughout the next uh, four to five years, getting up to about 2011 and 12, and, and we we're trying to find some alternate means of funding, and there, there just wasn't uh, the, the federal grants out there at that time. Um, so after, we, after the funding dried up for SROs, what did yes. the school board in the community, what they what did they decide to do next? Well, we wanted SROs, and, and the community feeling was we needed that protection there. And, you know, the current concerns they have, we want our schools to be safe. And we felt like they were, you know, this is a small community, rural environment. You don't expect things to be happening, but we had been used to having SROs within our schools. So we wanted to continue that. The problem was fiscal capacity to pay and fund those types of programs. Uh, maybe there were some other priorities, but uh, the commission at that time didn't fund it. Uh, again, you know, we were, we're, we're a distressed rural county. Uh, at this time, we're, we're identified as an at-risk rural county, not distressed anymore. Mm. But uh, so, you know, the funding is just not available. When we start talking about our school fiscal capacity, we're totally, I say totally dependent, about 90% dependent upon state and federal dollars to fund our school budget. So 10% of that is locally. And when you start looking at that, those type of numbers, that's some of the highest within the state. And we're not the only county like that. There, there are several rural counties that are in that situation. So even though you may have a want and a need, uh, you know, the priorities are first, we got to educate, and then what can we do after that? And so the fiscal capacity was not there to continue to support it. So what did you do? What decision did you make to replace the SROs that you no longer could afford? Okay, well, the discussion began probably around 2012, and about 2015, I came in as director of schools at that time, and I had a board that really supported the idea if we couldn't get – uh, you know, any SRO grants or some additional funding or some way or some shared cost to it, then let's see about uh, what, what can we do about just arming our staff and students. And so we looked at some 
ideas that other states had going at the time. And I don't really call them. There may have been some areas in Texas. There could have been some places up northeast that uh, had uh, utilized this type of, of legal way to, to put you know, guns in staff's hand and, and at least provide some protection. So we started thinking, as people say, outside the box. And I, uh, so what can we do? And, and one of those things, our local legislature, and there was support in the community for it. Uh, Representative Byrd at the time with Representative Rogers proposed a bill that went through the legislature and was passed, signed by brother, uh, Governor Bill Haslam uh, in 2016, which allowed uh, distressed rural counties to, um, you know, place handguns uh, in with employees. Now, the, there were some restrictions to it, and the restrictions were you could only have one employee armed per 100 students. Most of our schools are small, probably three to 400 mm -hmm. uh, uh, students within a building or less, and so that means we would only have, you know, three to four employees within a building, depending on the building size mm -hmm. and ADM of students that are in, within the building. Now, I understand uh, so, that you soon after surveyed teachers in the district to get an idea of how many owned handguns and who would be willing to carry at school. How did they respond? Uh, we did do that, and I have about 220 certified uh, employees within the district and about 400 uh, paid employees, support staff, and everything all together. So we surveyed them, and uh, obviously that's a, a survey that wasn't required. We received probably mid-50s respondents to it, and um, those were primarily the ones who were already uh, permit holders. Um, uh, there were a few that were not permit holders, but were still willing to uh, go through the training. And we had about 30 uh, staff members that responded they would be willing to go through the training that was required in the law. Now, the law was written that um, obviously the one per 100 uh, students within a school, also that uh, an employee would have to go through 40 hours of post uh, training, which is the, uh, you know, training mechanism for mm -hmm. uh, certified police officers in the state of Tennessee. Now, it'd be 40 hours, not the full nine weeks that they do. So uh, the law stated that one of the stipulations in it was that it would, the training would be conducted, it would be post-certified training and approved curriculum through post, but it was required that the local uh, uh, law agency would mm -hmm. do the training. How, and that was the hurdle within the law. Well, well, how did they respond? How did the local law enforcement agencies respond to your request? Well, initially they were uh, with us. We had some uh, community meetings with uh, the local law enforcement. We got together. We talked about, you know, reviewing the law, the purpose of the law, identifying who the trainers would be, what type of curriculum uh, we would get, and, and, and who would secure the curriculum. Uh, who would be trained from approved from each of the cities. Uh, we wanted to get school board approval. Uh, what would be scheduled training dates? We talked about uh, some specifics about employee confidentiality, uh, employee identif identification. How do we identify who they are within a crisis uh, and so on. So they were on board initially with our meetings, but I think the, the state association, sheriff's association and other police associations were against the law. And uh, so there was some opposition to it. And uh, when you start looking at the law itself, it, it stated specifically your local law enforcement agency would conduct the training and then uh, they, they all backed out of it. And it became a liability issue mm -hmm. for them at that time. All right. So uh, now, we were not able to get the training done. Okay. I like to get introduce my next guests. Leanne Hewlett is 
Tennessee chapter leader for Moms Demand Action and co-lead for the state legislative work with the group. And J.C. Shegog is a security consultant and firearms expert. Thank you both for being here. Welcome to This Thank is you. Nashville. Thank you. Now, Leanne, you work with Moms Demand Action, and you've been familiar with the bill, which is a proposed bill right now, HB 0041 which, if passed, would give schools broad give school boards, pardon me, access across the state to clear armed teachers. What are your concerns with this bill? Yeah, we have a lot of concerns. Um, mainly, arming teachers is not the answer. There have been reports of firearms left in bathrooms that students have accessed. Uh, guns can go off accidentally, and militarizing militarizing our schools is just not the answer. What we need to do is put laws in place to separate those who are in crisis from their guns before that firearm enters a school. Now, you know, I understand that the bill doesn't include protocols for like school events, um, parent-teacher conferences. Mm -hmm. How does that lack of direction in how safety, how to safely store the guns, how does that concern you? Yeah, so the bill um, does require that if a teacher is armed, they disarm before disciplinary meetings or events in school gyms and auditoriums. Uh, but there is no direction for what teachers should do with that firearm. Um, and I believe the bill's sponsor mentioned when he was asked that in committee that they should go lock it up in their car, which seems like mm. a terrible idea based on the numbers of guns being stolen from cars here in Nashville and around the state of Tennessee. Yeah, there's been a record that we've reported on here at WPLN. Now, JC, you are an experienced in firearms and security. What are your biggest concerns with the bill? I think that trying to put guns in a person's mindset who decide to help people, especially children, to have them switch mindsets to become a type of protector is it's a, it's a setup for failure. Hmm. It's a, we, we have people that are capable of protecting schools. We have people that are capable of protecting other people. Let's employ those people and stop trying to make the teachers pull double, triple, and quadruple duty and bogging them down even more. I understand. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville. And I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour with Leanne Hewlett, J.C. Seagog, and Marlon Davis about the implications of arming teachers to increase school safety. Tweet us your thoughts at This Is Nashville. Now, you know, tell me, J.C., what about Marlon's case? You know, when they didn't have the money for SROs, what is a school board, a school district supposed to do in that situation? I totally understand their, their standpoint, their perspective, and they— was trying to do what they can do for the purpose, and that is to protect the school. So I applaud them for their, their effort. I mean, if they didn't have the money to employ, if the grants was not available, somebody had to do something, and they attempted to do something. I applaud them. Um, they went about it the correct way, and then politics kicked in. This is why, and in my opinion, I think we should remove police from the schools so that we can remove the police politics from the school. Things like that that just happened to them. Also, the the school to prison pipeline. We remove all of those and put in actual school security and have the school security trained for that school culture, meaning 
the elementary school, middle school, high school. When I worked at Meharry Medical College, I was there captain and over training. And, that, and college campuses have a culture. So the school security is trained to that culture. Hmm. And this way we can mitigate all of the politics. All right, now, students, they range from young children to adolescents. Mm-hmm. They could potentially be in class with a teacher who's wearing a firearm. Leanne, tell me this. When you, when you talk with other parents about this potential outcome, what have they said to you? I have not met a parent that supports this. We want our kids to go to school and interact with their teachers in a safe, loving environment. We don't want kids to know that the teacher is holding a deadly weapon on their person. And, you know, at each level, it's going to be a different reaction to that. Um, we had, we've heard from high school students that they're afraid that one of their classmates will think it'd be a funny prank to grab the gun from the teacher. Mm. Uh, we don't want to instill fear in our youngest kids to know that their teacher has a, a gun on them and, and what's going to happen if that gun misfires. What is their teacher doing with that gun? You know, Marlon, your school district has been using SROs who are law enforcement for some time. And that's the solution that you settled on after looking into having armed teachers. Tell me this. How have SROs SROs worked out for your district? It's very good. I think it's a wonderful program. We have a great partnership with our sheriff's office and our local city police in each of the three cities within our district. Ultimately, we got what we were wanting. We were wanting uh, a return of our SROs to our schools. And by moving in, you know, instead of doing nothing, we were pursuing doing something that would help protect uh, our students within our schools in case we had an incident such as this. And ultimately, the state released in 2017 SRO funding after this bill was signed into law and we fought the hurdles of trying to get uh, the training done and couldn't get it. The state released some SRO funding for those districts that did not have the program. And so we were able to fund those for about three years and then that money expired. It was actually a two-year grant. We we weren't fully staffed. We were able to use some rollover money and fund it for a third year. Then I've picked it up and continued the program in conjunction with our sheriff's department with some uh, ESSER funds, which is the uh, you know the COVID uh, emergency relief money. And so we've we've continued to fund it in that manner. And where are we at now? The governor just signed a bill to put SROs one in every school in the state of Tennessee. So we essentially got what we needed to get done from 2015 forward. And now we're at a position where the state has recognized the importance of it and it's being funded. Now, now JC, you mentioned your feelings, a little Mm -hmm. bit of your feelings on Mm -hmm. SROs. But, you know, what is the problem with having SROs in school? One, the police politics. Two, they're putting a Band-Aid on a gushing wound. The requirements that the state made that school say one armed person per 100 students. Well, see, they got that from security standards. Whenever a a person that uh, requires security services, a, a security consultant say, okay, we need one officer per 50 or 100 people. Now, in real life, in, in I don't say real life, in bigger areas, you only got one or two SROs. 
there is no way they can actually perform the job of protecting the campus, the staff, and the students if it's one or two of them per 500, 800, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 students. It's, it's, it's a pacifier. And a pacifier is something you give to a baby that don't know the difference between real food. And most people don't know the difference between real security and protection. And this is a pacifier that they've been given. Now, Leanne, you mentioned parents not really liking the idea of their kids being in class with armed teachers. What are your thoughts on SROs? Do you feel comfortable like sending your child to school with an SRO present? I mean, personally, I would really like to see the state legislature stop the guns from entering the school. I would like the state legislature to look at passing an ERPO bill, an extremist protection order bill, to separate those who are at risk for committing these mass shootings in our schools, but also across our community at the movie theater, at the grocery store. Um, What we need is a law that enables law enforcement and family to get guns out of the hand of people in crisis before it enters our schools and our communities. Now, back to you real quick, JC. You were talking about these this, this, the protocols for protecting a large group of schools. I think there's some schools out here that have populations of 2,500, even more exactly. out there. What can be done to have better security at schools so students can To have protected? an actual security team, and these teams have various duties within the school, within, like, juvenile court, counseling, This is how we work on getting the students and these parents the services that they need. When you have a police mind frame, that typically police culture is an us-against-them mentality. Mm. But if you have somebody trained for that culture, then now we're in a, a healing process. We're trying to get this person help, get this parent help, get this family help, instead of racking up enough arrests to where they can ask for grant money for the other uh, programs. Who would be the authoritative body that would oversee this security group? It would be the, the, either the school system itself or whoever providing the resources like, like juvenile court. So you want to keep law enforcement out of the picture altogether? Right. Well, not not altogether. You know, the, we, we look at what we call um, a, a force multiplier. We want to work together, but we want to establish that this is this is a school and we need to conduct ourselves like we're dealing with students, like we're dealing with children. And OK, so one one thing I want to ask you, Leanne, in regards to this law, if there were an incident where someone were shot by an armed teacher, Who's legally liable for that? Yeah, from what we understand, uh, the teacher, the teacher that had the firearm and shot it would be the only person legally liable. School districts and the law enforcement agency that approved the teacher to carry would not be liable. Have you talked to educators about that provision? Uh, We have. Uh, Educators do not support that. I mean, they our educators are not well paid. Um, they deserve the world and, and they're not given that. But to to be held civilly responsible for an accident um, when they are just trying to do what what we're asking, what the legislature is asking them to do to carry guns just seems unfathomable. You know, Marlon, was liability a concern for you when you were looking into arming teachers for your district? 
It was, and that's a question I had with our insurance company that covered us, and they said we would be covered, and in fact, the liability could possibly be increased uh, because of it, and uh, it, was, it was not an issue. I can't help but to think of, like, the environmental the environment at schools and what type of psychological impacts this has from having a security team, more SROs, or armed teachers, what that does to students' minds. I mean, Ed Marlin, as a school board administrator, are these the only options available that we have to keep our schools safe? Well, we've utilized a lot of different funds in order to make some changes to our campuses, you know, physical facilities and those types of changes to make them safer. Uh, and we spent a good bit of money on that. But I just think the first point of contact when you do have a situation like this is having an armed guard, whether it be security or a school resource officer, is the very first point of contact when an incident occurs and then who is going to respond when you do have an incident it's going to be the police and they're going to be in charge when they arrive to the scene leanne tell us what's not being highlighted in the general conversation about arming teachers yeah i'm i think the most important factor is that we have tools that our legislature could enact to stop this before it even happens Almost every mass shooting event, the shooter has had signs that has displayed signs that they are going to do something. There is a way to separate people in those dangerous situations from their guns. We just need our legislators to act and enact an extreme risk protection order law. That was Lee Ann Hewlett with Moms Demand Action. She was joined by J.C. Shegog. Security consultant, security consultant, pardon me, and Marlon Davis, director of schools at the Wayne County Board of Education. I want to thank all of you for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. We have to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll examine if arming teachers is actually a good idea and the potential consequences of doing so. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. And this is Nashville. This hour, we are talking about arming teachers. Is it a viable solution to gun violence in schools? Before the break, we talked about a bill that would expand the ability of school boards to allow teachers to carry guns in class. We heard about some of the difficulties of implementing this. Now let's turn to the question, will arming teachers actually keep students in school safe? To explore this, I'd like to introduce my next guests. Jonathan Bronco is an educator and school administrator. Bronco, pardon me, is an educator and school administrator here in Nashville. Karen De Leon is a senior at Lipscomb and who is on the path to becoming a teacher. And Sheila, Call- Sheila Jones Calloway is a juvenile court judge. Thanks to you all for being here. Welcome to Thank- This Is Nashville. Thank you for having us. And, you know, I'd like to really get a sense of how this bill to expand the ability to arm teachers has really impacted you all. Jonathan, when you heard about the bill being introduced at the state legislature, how did you respond? Um, I was not a big fan of the idea. Um, Outside of being an assistant principal here at a school in Nashville, um, I work with the Aquila De Silva Foundation, a nonprofit geared towards uh, raising awareness around gun violence and gun violence prevention here in town. 
And uh, the first thing that kind of came to mind is, you know, logistically, this doesn't make a ton of sense. When we go into lockdown, right, what is the purpose of having a weapon uh, on a teacher would be to, you know, deal with if there were a threat in the building. When you go into lockdown, the first thing that you do is protect the kids that are in the room with you. So you're asking that educator, if they're armed, to step out and go essentially look for, you know, the threat that's in the building. And that's not what any of us signed up for. Um, and I'm just, you know, vehemently opposed to this bill. Judge Calloway. Thank you for having me here, and I'm glad to be a part of this conversation. Um, when I think about the bill and how difficult it would be to implement, you know, I look at it from the side of the youth that I serve. And, you know, a lot of times when you think about youth, they're in school because they're learning. Um, their brain development is not where it needs to be. And a lot of times the youth that I see who are um, being arrested for gun possessions or other crimes, um, they're not thinking correctly. And so if they are knowing that teachers are armed and have guns, you know, I just see a room full of teenagers thinking it's going to be cool to find this gun and what can we do with it. Mm. And so I am more concerned about, um, you know, the the um, consequences of what it really means to have an armed teacher is the weapon on their possession. The students are going to know. Mm -hmm. And if it's a teacher that they know has a gun somewhere, they're going to take the opportunity to try to find it. And so what we're doing is we're putting more youth at risk than we are actually trying to protect them. Now, Cotton, you will soon become a full-time teacher. Yes. Tell me, what were your thoughts when you heard about this bill? It's just crazy to me. Like, I, that's not what I'm going into the field for. Um, and I feel like, like, it's become a culture. Like, gun has become a culture. And I'm like, that's not, no. Like, I'm not here to, to do that. I'm here to teach my kids. And um, I have a very... Like, my philosophy of education does not include that. So it just, it's not part of my job, and it's not part of my lifestyle. It's not part of my purpose of what I want to teach my kids. So mm. it's just a lot of feeling of, like, frustration, anger, and um, it's just crazy. Like, it's crazy to me. <laughs> I understand that. Like, did you talk to your fellow classmates about oh. this? How, how, tell me how, how those conversations went. So um, when we had our... Um, the Covenant shooting, um, we really talked, like sat down to talk about this with some of my friends and peers. And it was just a lot of feeling of anger, like honestly, like it's um, obviously we're not in, in the workforce yet. We're not there yet to like know policies and, and what it actually means, you know, to be there and look at what leaders are doing. But from the outside, it's just like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And we don't understand how our leaders are thinking that it makes sense, that it can be an option. Like, it, it doesn't, like like Judge Calloway says, like, these kids are, are there to learn. Mm. I mean, there's nothing else. Like, I, I don't understand how they think that it is possible for this to be an option, for this to be a resolution when it's, like, putting more fuel to the fire. <laughs> Jonathan, you know, as a veteran educator and an administrator, 
What's the staff at your schools? What have they been saying about this idea of arming teachers? Yeah, they are not big fans of this idea either. Um, the consensus is, you know, why are we not looking for solutions to prevent the problem in the first place? Why do we continually look to have more guns as the solution to a gun problem in our society? Uh, students have expressed to me that they would not feel safe uh, with more guns in the building. We do have an SRO on our campus. And, you know, the, the uh, presence of police can be a triggering thing for students in itself. Um, but, you know, our students have come to accept, especially after the Covenant shooting, you know, the presence of that SRO. But at the end of the day, you know, knowing that there could be guns in the desks or on the person of, you know, of a teacher uh, does not make kids or fellow staff members feel any safer. Uh, it's it's just brought a lot of concern and a little bit of uh, anxiety to our staff and students and are, families. Are there any staff members who are supportive of that plan? I have not encountered any. Um, I, I talked to a former uh, mentor teacher of mine when I student taught in Chattanooga, and her words to me were, there was one person I worked with that I would trust to do this. However, I would not want him to carry the burden or responsibility of having that on him mm. and having to respond to a situation like that because that's not what you sign up for when you become a teacher. She was your mentor teacher. Do you know how long she's been in the profession? Yeah, this is her 21st year, I believe. So out of 21 years, one person. One person. All right. Now, one of the questions about the proposed bill is that the only people who know, would know who would be carrying the guns at school would be the principal and the superintendent. Judge Calloway, what types of issues does that bring to the fore? So first and foremost, I'm not sure if I actually believe that. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, you know, secrets last about as long as the person who's carrying them can, can carry it. True. And the idea that only a few people would know exactly who has the guns, I don't think is is going to actually happen in practice. Um, you know, I, I think about when we um, have charges against certain students and we're only allowed to tell the principal or the teacher or whoever's in, in by statute, we always know that someone violates that and someone finds out, oh, yeah, that kid's on probation for this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And so I don't believe that that's actually going to be what happens. And then if some students who are angry or upset and they might know, I think this teacher probably has, is carrying a gun, that student might go look for it and might go to try and find it. And then where are we? I, I don't think that that's true. And I think, you know, earlier one of the um, um, panelists was talking about, you know, the, the law that says if you have to, um, you can't carry it while certain under certain restrictions, just go put it in your car. Yeah, that really is a, a nightmare. The, the highest number of cases that I see on a regular basis are children stealing guns out of cars. Yeah. And so, yeah, that makes sense that we actually would put that in a law. I, you know, I used to teach high school and I've had things taken from my vehicle. I've had things taken from my desk. I have, I have, I have had things taken under lock and key at that. But I also know that high school students sometimes get into fights. Mm -hmm. Middle school, ele elementary school students do as well. Judge Calloway, what are your concerns with teachers being armed in that type of situation? That is absolutely the most scary thing for me to think about. Because when people are in the middle of fight and there's a responsibility of a teacher to try to 
de-escalate or break up the fight or to somehow, you know, make things calm again. And that teacher may be carrying a weapon at the same time. The idea that any of those students around and, and as you see, particularly in our high schools, when there's fights, there's just not two people in the hallway at the same time mm-hmm. fighting each other. And that's it. It's the entire school that gathers around to see what's happening and see who's in it involved. And, you know, a few teachers are trying to um, disperse people. Um, if a gun is brought in that situation and a gun is being carried by a teacher, all kind of things could happen. Any one of those students could grab that gun, even if the teacher grabs it and there could be a, a misfire or something. But there seems to be absolutely um, more danger that could happen and could occur in a situation like that. And we know, you know, kids have fought in school for years. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to age myself. But, <laughs> you know, when I was growing up, there were fights in school all the time. Mm-hmm. There were never weapons. We didn't have SROs when I was growing up. And so it eventually dissipated itself and people went there on the corners, but there was never the risk that someone could lose their life. And when we bring a gun into the into the mix, that's a risk that we also bring. Cotton, have you thought about being in a situation like this as a teacher? Well, I'm going to be going into elementary, so not to that level, um, but I mean, it is a thought now, especially Judge Cowie talking about that, like... And and it's crazy because I just literally heard a story about one of my friend's kids. Like they found like a like a vape pen in their backpack. Mm. This kid is like a fifth grader, fourth grader. I'm like, that's crazy. I didn't see that growing up. I was in kindergarten, 2005, 2006. I never knew what a vape was. I never like we we didn't see those things growing up even back then. So it's just it's scary. I'm like, I don't want to see my little nine or ten year old with you know, a gun in their backpack or just, you know, mm-hmm. casually carrying it around. Like, it, it's just, it's scary. But I had not thought about that until, you know, speaking it on to this level. You know, teachers, they have a very huge workload. There's a lot that you all have to do. Katen, you're about to, you're learning about it, but you're about to find out. I've about already found how out. Much <laughs> teachers have to do, you know, the responsibilities of having and carrying a firearm. It's just adding more to that. You know, what do you think about that, Jonathan, as having to be a part of a response team as a teacher on top of everything as far as your responsibilities are to educate kids? I mean, the training that we have to go through with crisis prevention in itself is a lot. To learn different restraints, to learn different moves to keep kids safe without weapons is a heavy responsibility to carry just to start off. Adding in a tool in which its purpose exists to end a life. That is the only purpose that a gun has, right? It's not, that's what it exists to do, is to hurt or take a life, is a frightening thought to me. Um, and asking teachers to add the, the that responsibility um, of not just making sure that kids can get to the next level, you know, looking at them socially, emotionally, why, just to me, why are we investing in this idea and not the, the idea of mental health? We hear, you know, this argument all the time. Well, mental health is the problem. Well, where's the investment in mental health services? Where's the investment in social, emotional learning in schools? All we do is talk about more guns. And again, that's adding a problem to an existing problem. Now, I, I, Kaden, Judge Calloway, I saw you both nod your heads when Jonathan was talking about mental health. What's your response? Jonathan is absolutely spot on. 
Um, we absolutely know that there is a issue with mental health and there is absolutely a deficit in support for mental health. Um, when you when I have youth that come into the court system that are suffering from mental health issues, issues there is absolutely no place for me to go mm. and if they're in the middle of a crisis there is a wait list so i'm having a child in a court setting who has probably committed a crime but needs absolute mental health services immediately they're going to have to wait about two months before they can get services two months easy it's that type of backlog it's that type of backlog and so instead of you know, what we're doing as a state, we're saying, well, we know that that's a mental health issue. Let's not put resources and bring in more mental health providers, put some money behind um, facilities that can handle mental health and in, in the youth that need to be served. But what we're doing instead is saying, oh, no, let's just arm teachers instead. And so what you're still going to have is an escalated uh, mental health crisis for a number of youth in our community, a number of people in our community, not just our youth in the community, but we have a mental health crisis for everybody. Mm. And we don't have the resources to treat everyone that needs to be treated. Now, Cotton, as you were in school, as you're getting close to becoming a teacher, did they talk to you about mental health services and how to work with children in need? I think um, when I was in school, I'm very grateful for one of my high school teachers, Miss um, Laura Fitz. <laughs> she actually introduced um, restorative practices to our school at Glencliff. And that was when I started to realize like mental health and like trauma um, and like being trauma informed. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that elective class. Um, and Going through that, that's actually one of the reasons why, well, that pushed me to go into education was because where I grew up, how I grew up, that's a, that's a really big thing. Like we we go through a lot, you know, especially as a first generation student, a, 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 a daughter of immigrants and mm-hmm. many people who are who look like me, my peers who looked like me, like it's a lot of trauma that we bring and. And that's that's something that I mean, that's really the root of everything is how can we support our students? And and that's what I want to do in going into the classroom. It's like I want to invest in their mental health. I want to invest on, okay, how can we have more restorative conversations? What can I do to be with you and not do do to you or for you? You know, it's like, how can I be with you? Because talk to me more about these restorative conversations and practices. Um, So what I have learned throughout my learning, um, even when I started doing the elective in high school throughout my program now, um, it's just a, a different approach to communication, to lifestyle. We could even say lifestyle. Um, and the culture, like the culture in schools, the work community, um, work environments, like being less punitive and more, um, what would be the correct word more just more restorative like being with your people and not against them and not doing it for them Mm. I think that's the biggest thing that I got from it is how can I be with you beside you on your level you know and and um that's what I've learned with throughout restorative and just and people think like oh it's like okay well let's talk about what happened you know what did you do to offend me and what how did i feel about it and like no it, it's a it's a process like mm-hmm. you plan for these conversations and you 
And you have to, you know, make sure that these people are ready for those type of conversations because it's not something normal that our society has come into. Like, again, usually now it's like, oh, you offend me, I offend you. So mm -hmm. it's like... Combative, adversarial, exactly. rather than collaborative. Judge Calloway, I see you nodding your head. How do you feel about restorative Oh, practices? absolutely. And um, <laughs> I had an opportunity to work with, uh, um, with the restorative practices in Glencliff um, and other places. And we have a restorative program in our court system. And it is absolutely the way to go. Um, when and people question about, you know, punishment and being punitive. But what it really looks like, it's more about accountability. And I'm accountable to each. We're accountable to each other. Um, if someone's harmed, we're all a part of helping to cure that harm. And you can do that in the justice system as well and find more justice than you can in our what we call our criminal system now. Because if we're concerned with the person who was harmed, how do we heal that person? How do we bring them back to a level where they can feel um, part of our community, our society again? And then how do we hold the person who caused that harm um, accountable, but yet bring them to a level where they can be productive in our community. You can do that through restorative justice. Create an environment where they're welcomed back into the community rather than shunned and ostracized. Absolutely. All right, final question for you, Jonathan. As an educator, what do you want lawmakers to think about when approaching school safety? About well, 30 seconds. Yeah, first of all, I mean, um, they've demonstrated they don't trust us to pick, pick the curriculum and books for our kids, but they trust us to carry guns is, is, is just a big curiosity that I have. But I just want them to hear that we are here to teach kids and get them to the next level and be a lifelong support for them. We did not sign up to be police officers. That is local educator and school administrator Jonathan Bracco. He was joined by juvenile court judge Sheila Calloway and Lipscomb senior Karen De Leon. I want to thank you all for being with us today. Thank you for tuning in this hour. Really appreciate you all being here. Thanks to everybody for listening to This is Nashville This Hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. Our senior producer is Steve Farouche. Our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tutto. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Linda, Linda McFadgen Ketchum, Alexis Marshall, and Paige Flager. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekolona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other. <laughs>